Welcome back to For the Girls. Now that we are well underway into the 2022 season, we wanted to give you a bit of a deep dive on the 2022 new regulation changes and also talk a little bit about rules and regulations and safety in F1 more generally. This is a good follow-up to our starter pack episode if you wanted a part two, but even if you are already pretty into F1. We're also going to get into what we think about the rule changes so far, whether or not we think they're working this season so far. So stay tuned for that. Why is this important now? Because the 2022 changes have been called the biggest regulation changes in four decades. So it's really a whole reimagining of the whole concept of the F1 car. So with that, I'm Sarah. I'm Chessa. And I'm Tiggy. Okay, so we're going to jump into some general background first. Why do these rules even exist? So first of all, they're in place mostly for safety. Obviously, we want to keep all the drivers safe. So that's number one. They want to promote fair and competitive racing and also along the same lines, just ensuring that all the cars and engines have some level of uniformity. Um, Obviously, got to stick to the formula of Formula One. So the biggest regulation changes started in the 1980s, sort of when all the different races were brought under the Formula One organization and everything became just much more standardized. But that being said, the sport is constantly evolving. The regulations that govern it are sort of changing, um, called the FIA Sporting and Technical Regulations. But all of that is sort of to improve safety as things evolve and just to keep the teams in check and keep competition fair, given some of the teams have almost unlimited resources looking at you, Mercedes and others. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. The teams will spend hundreds of millions of dollars or maybe like only the top teams, the ones that can afford it trying to make their cars the fastest. And if at any moment the FIA views their changes to the car as kind of making a loophole in the existing regulations, they'll try to make a new rule to clarify whether you can or can't do that. Chessa, wasn't this an issue with um, your your faves at Ferrari? Yeah. So we've talked about this a little bit before, but in 2019, there was a technical investigation into Ferrari's engine, the level of fuel flow coming in and out of the engine, whether they kind of exceeded it. And obviously, if they had done so, it would make the car much faster and the car was much faster. But basically, in the end, the FIA on this one kind of reached a secret settlement with the team. And this is along the same vein of the potential investigation of the Haas that we mentioned in last week's episode as well. Before we jump into kind of a full recap of the 2022 changes, we wanted to give you just a quick five minutes on some of the biggest safety updates in F1 over the years. So one of the one of the biggest safety pushes of the modern era started in 1994. As we mentioned in our Imola preview, both Senna and Rotzenberger died at the San Marino Grand Prix at the Imola track in 1994. And one thing that's super tragic about it is Senna had been a really big proponent of car safety right up until his death, including even that same weekend. So really big reforms were implemented then. The survival cell, the immediate area that um, surrounds the car is now carbon fiber and Kevlar and fire resistant. So it's a super powerful last defense to protect the driver. In 2003, the Hans, the head and neck support device became required. This is the thing you see when the drivers just kind of walking around in their race suits and there's almost what looks like a plastic contraption like on their shoulders. Um, it goes over their shoulders, back up around their neck, and then has two straps that connect to either side of their helmet. And it's amazing at preventing really bad whiplash and severe head injuries. 
I wonder if that helps with the porpoising too, with their heads like moving around a bunch, if it helps stabilize their necks as well. Probably. I've been thinking about that because the porpoising has been so bad. I've just been thinking about kind of how bad it must be for their head to be chronically bouncing this much. Yeah. And George complaining about those injuries. A couple other things. So no refueling started around 2010. You used to be able to refuel during pit stops, but there were a lot of accidents associated with that. Max's dad actually was burned in one of those accidents and Kimi Raikkonen drove through a fire. So no more refueling at pit stops. And then another huge reckoning in 2014, 2015, after Jules Bianchi died, he is he was the most recent death in Formula One and the only driver since Senna to die in an F1 event. There have been more recent Formula Two deaths, though. Um, Bianchi died in 2015 from a head injury sustained during the Japanese Grand Prix in 2014. And that really pushed the development of the virtual safety car and the halo for it as well. Um, and like Tiggy mentioned, in 2018, they introduced the halo so believe it or not, before the Halo in 2018, the Formula One cockpit was fully open. Like the driver's heads had no protection. They were up in the air. It's it's crazy. And so now they have that kind of like Halo bar around their head. Um, and it's already been really successful at preventing several accidents from being basically lethal. Remember last year, Max went over Lewis's car. And if the Halo hadn't been there, like the tire would have been in Lewis's head. Um, and then also... Grosjean, after his fireball crash in 2020, said this is the best thing that we've we've brought to Formula One. So the cars are a lot safer now. Cars can literally walk away from crashes between 30 up to 70 Gs and remain virtually unharmed. Um, if we're remembering a few weeks ago, Schumacher came out like walking from his massive crash, which was 33 Gs. Now that we're talking about 2022, some of the features this year that have helped to continue to promote safety one, there's a few different things going on in the car that basically just minimize debris flying off the car. Um, and then also the chassis in the middle of the car absorbs a lot more energy and can protect against, you know, the drivers inside being T-boned, for example, in a, in a race. So now that we've talked about 2022 updates, Tiggy, why don't you start telling us about the big kahunas, the real stuff that's been happening this season, which has been kind of kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So there has been a total overhaul of the technical regulations sort of to, you know, improve racing, even the playing field between teams and just make everything a bit more competitive. And I think if you look back to last season and historically over the past however many years, it's pretty pretty much been a consistent sort of like Red Bull versus Mercedes battle. And I think people started to get bored. We definitely did. At least we love to see a good midfield. Yeah, at least and, last year we had a close championship, but so many years yeah. it's just been runaway Lewis and Mercedes. Yeah. I mean, we love racing regardless, but it, it definitely makes it less exciting. So some of the things that they've done to, to promote more competition, a lot of this went into changing how the drivers can actually race against each other. So they want to make it easier for the drivers to follow, to overtake the cars in front of them, um, and just make it more competitive for all the cars. So yeah, Tiggy, Ross, Ross Braun, who's the F1 managing director, which is the title I would love to have. It sounds so legit. He basically said, you know, I'm confident these rules will, will lead to much better racing Side note, obviously he wants much better racing. It's going to bring in more money. Um, but he said, I'm convinced these cars will be closer in performance from the very beginning. So let's let's jump into the key, key changes that have enabled thus far that more competitive racing between the drivers. So one, it's been a pretty drastic switch to ground effect aerodynamics um, and other changes to reduce dirty air. Don't worry, Sarah's 
pro at this. She's about to explain it to everyone. Um, there's also been more standardized power units and a power unit freeze. And then a bunch more changes. We'll hit on a few, but we don't have five hours to keep you all. So with that, Sarah, tell us a little bit about these ground effect aerodynamic changes and, and the dirty air. Yeah, so there was a big change this year to ground effect cars. And F1 cars used to be designed as ground effect cars back in like the 70s, but that hasn't been the model recently. So this is a big change back to kind of that era. So if you want a little bit more background, flip back to our starter pack episode. So as we mentioned there, F1 cars are faster than planes at takeoff. And they're trying to go around these corners incredibly fast. So they need some sort of force to keep them on the track. Because gravity alone isn't going to be enough here to keep these cars stuck to the track as they're flying through these corners, braking super fast, and all of that. So downforce or negative lift allows the car to grip the track and go through the corners at high speed. So downforce is the force that's pushing down on the car and pushing it into the track. And this negative lift or downforce is so strong that theoretically an F1 car could drive upside down through a tunnel and still stick to the ground. Do you think they've tested that? That is the biggest <laughs> fun fact to take away. Like if anyone, <laughs> it's such a cool fact. A Mercedes engineer said that definitely theoretically that could happen, but obviously no one really wants to test that and maybe the engine <laughs> wouldn't work, but theoretically it would work. So this downforce needs to be generated somehow. So the old car design mostly used the wings on the car. So we know there's the front wing and the rear wing. Then the rear wing is really important in particular for downforce. But the problem is that this created a lot of dirty air. If you've been watching, if you're getting into Formula 1, you'll probably notice dirty air thrown around a lot and are like, what on earth is that? So dirty air is the turbulent air that gets thrown off the back of the car in front of a driver. So if you think about it, the car in front of you is going super fast and chopping through the air. And then so there's a bunch of turbulent air getting thrown all over the place at the car behind that's trying to follow the car in front. So dirty air does two big things. First, it makes it hard for the wings on the following car to do their job and generate downforce. So dirty air reduces downforce on, on the car following. Additionally, driving through dirty air from the car in front makes it really hard to get close to that car and follow and ultimately overtake. And so this is a big problem because as we've been saying, kind of the whole point of these new changes was they wanted to make it a lot easier to have closer racing and more overtaking more exciting racing, aka Formula One making more money. <laughs> yeah. So in the car concept, yeah, that's a, a, a continual theme we'll keep going back to. But instead, so for this year's car concept, instead of creating downforce using the wings and the air above the car, the new car changes the way that the air passes under the car to generate downforce. And so this is why it's called a ground effect car concept. So when you hear us refer to the floor of the car, that's the bottom of the, of the car that's closest to the track. And so that is now newly specialized to generate a lot of downforce from the way the air passes under that. So now that we have a ground effect car, there's more downforce, but less dirty air. And so the idea is that that's going to generate much better racing because the cars are going to be able to stick to the track, go really fast, have a lot of grip, but at the same time, not be creating all this choppy air for the cars behind them. There's also a couple other changes that are supposed to help reduce dirty air. So there's wheel covers. As, as the name says, little covers now you see on the wheels that weren't there before. The new front wing design is also supposed to help generate more downforce while at the same time creating less dirty air. And also the rear wing now has kind of a cool, um, sleek looking new shape. And that is designed to push the air higher up behind the car so that all this dirty, turbulent air gets shot out 
higher mm-hmm. than the car behind so that the car behind gets to drive through kind of cleaner air. So we've talked a lot about what porpoising is in a bunch of our other episodes. For those of you that don't know, it basically just means when the car is bouncing up and down on the track, mostly on the straights. But now that we've given you all a physics lesson, basically, and explaining the ground effect changes for the cars this year, we thought we'd talk a little bit about how porpoising plays into that. So like we mentioned, the ground effect changes basically causes low air pressure to be sucked under the car and stick the car to the track, which is what the downforce is. The lower a car is to the track, the more that ground effect works and the stronger that downforce is. But it's a caveat because when you load the car with downforce on top, it's pushing down on its, on its suspension and getting very close to the track and potentially even making contact. When that closeness happens and that contact might happen, it stalls the airflow underneath and basically reverses the, the ground effect and causes a really sudden decrease in the downforce, pushing the car back up. So this back and forth of the downforce increasing and decreasing is what that bouncing or porpoising is. Quick note here, the cars could definitely just avoid it by bringing the cars less close to the ground, but then you don't get that downforce. So they're trying to walk a very narrow line between trying to maximize the downforce, but also trying to minimize the porpoising. Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1R the girls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1R the girls for 15% off today. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal personalized and with regular live music and events there's really no in-store experience like it if you can't make it to a store though just visit tecovas.com t-e-c-o-v-a-s.com they offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and they ship right to your door go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today and it's interesting it's not just changes to the car itself they've also like adjusted the tires we've talked about this a bunch but this season the tires are bigger to like potentially work better with the new aerodynamic changes um with the goal obviously being for them to overheat less than the old tires make the close racing and the overtaking easier another thing if you watch formula one like often in the pits they have these tire blankets around the the tires to help heat them up but they've actually lowered the temperatures of those tire blankets this year and it's unclear if that's worked i mean we've seen the cars slipping and sliding around on on laps when their tires are cold I don't know if that was intentional. I think we'll have to see it play out a little bit more. So, so far, it doesn't really seem like these tire changes have helped that much in terms of helping them not overheat and degrade less, but we will see. We'll see. Yeah, people have been complaining about their tires a lot. So I don't know if it's true that Pirelli has generated this amazing new tire that doesn't degrade or doesn't overheat as much, but stay tuned. (laughs) 
Another big regulation change this year. So more standardized power units and power unit freeze. So first things first, a power unit refers to everything that powers the car. It's not just an engine because the cars are hybrid. So there's a petrol internal combustion engine, but also electric powered motors powered by this thing called an energy recovery system. Um, Fun fact, uh, ERS is super high voltage. So in 2019, something happened to Danny's ERS system and the engineers literally got on his radio and were like, get out of the car and don't touch anything um, because you could literally just get fully electrocuted. Oh my God. Um, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, So engines became hybrid in 2014 and they're much more powerful and efficient So years ago, there were no restrictions and teams would just spend millions and millions building these special qualifying spec engines. But now the FIA monitors these power units using electrical sensors throughout the car's ERS engines. They're like big brothering it. (laughs) They literally have like sensors on everyone's engines to make sure no one's cheating. Well, as they should. The theme kind of (laughs) throughout all these new regulations that the FIA now has really sophisticated ways to make sure that they're following the rules. So teams kind of have to submit these files of their car concepts and the FIA knows how to scan them to see if the cars are compliant. So it's a lot of fancy, technically advanced enforcement now. Yeah. So what are some of the changes this year? Power units have to be made of commercially available materials. They're finalizing a new set of power unit restrictions for a 2026 hybrid engine that will be much more sustainable So in the meantime, all power units are frozen and they must essentially remain the same throughout the 2025 season. Teams can make modifications here and there for reliability, safety, cost savings, or that sort of stuff. But for certain parts, they'll need to apply to the FIA in order to do so. The FIA wants to handle everything. And a higher percentage of fuel has to be sustainable this year. So a bit of a a sustainability push. So this sustainability push by Formula One is actually really interesting because Ferrari, not like the Formula One team Ferrari, but actual Ferrari that makes cars for the roads, has committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2030 across the entire value chain. So I think that's really interesting and I think it's going to be happening a lot more in the sports cars and then eventually in racing. So just a fun fact. Wow, Carlos and Charles just cruising around in silent electric ferraris <laughs> elon musk is gonna elon musk is gonna buy formula one <laughs> <laughs> honestly don't even speak that into existence <laughs> sorry <laughs> even with the new um in the turbo hybrid era starting in 2014 people were upset because the hybrid adding the hybrid component made the engines quieter than the old engines that's mind-blowing louder than they are now and they're still super loud. they're so loud So some other changes this year, the cost cap, the infamous cost cap continues. So F1 created this financial regulations for the first time in 2021, and those continue this year. Again, really just supposed to try and rein in teams with more unlimited budgets like Mercedes, (laughs) Ferrari, Red Bull, all of our friends, um, and make it more of an even, even playing field. So in 2022, the teams can spend a whopping $140 million on developing the cars. Things that are excluded from the cap, driver salaries, marketing, all the things that go into making F1 a business. Thank God driver salaries are excluded. Lewis and Max make $50 million, so that would take up like... Could you imagine if they just... Cost cap, it was like, okay, boys, no more shopping at Balenciaga now. Old Navy it is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They could get sponsorship deals still. 
but Toto, our our favorite finance bro, he recently mentioned how crazy within how it's crazy with inflation and that it went down from 145 million dollars in 2021. And he said, you know, it's been very difficult to structure the company and the organization in the right way to meet the cost cap at 140 million, which like five million dollars is really throwing throwing it off so much. But I guess maybe with inflation. Inflation's reached everywhere, people. It's reached Toto. <laughs> Christian has also said that there needs to be an urgent discussion given inflation and high energy costs. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I think this is a really good rule because it just shows that like this year, you can't just throw money at your problems. And okay, obviously that's a that's a hot take. Throwing your money at throwing money at a car like may or may not necessarily fix the issue, but that's probably why Mercedes hasn't been able to like jump back as fast as they wish is because they have to be very strategic about their spending and when they're going to bring upgrades to the car. Yeah, and George has been pretty explicit about that, saying that the team is being really intentional about upgrades instead of just – and that's why it's taken them so long to bring major upgrades because they're trying to be super cost-effective and efficient. On top of it, Mercedes doesn't even know what the problem is yet, but we'll get more into that in the Miami preview. Yeah, and F1 higher-ups are discussing the inflation problem this week, so maybe we'll have some news on that front. Oh, so another quick, fun regulation is wind tunnel time. So if you um, don't know what wind tunnels are, imagine a giant fan, super fast wind, and a super fast moving conveyor belt underneath a treadmill for the F1 car, essentially, um, that blasts super high wind at the cars to get information on the aerodynamics of the car. So since there's such limited track and practice time, as we've discussed, teams use wind tunnels to gather a ton of info on the aerodynamics of the car, test out different parts, all of that. So the drivers get simulators and the cars have wind tunnels. So wind tunnel time used to be unlimited, but now it's also getting restricted because it's so expensive. Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, all these teams with massive budgets could essentially be running multiple wind tunnels 24-7 if there weren't restrictions. And so now that time is also being restricted to make it more fair for the teams that don't have have such big budgets. My favorite fun fact is that Red Bulls, and just about how like big and expensive these are, Red Bulls wind tunnel in Bedford in England, it's obviously modernized and refurbished, but it was originally a wind tunnel to develop Cold War era fighter jets for the British Air Force. That's the wind tunnel they should use to test the upside down car driving thing. Let's just speak true. That yeah, we need to get on that. A fun. I thing. think Tiggy could drive an upside down car. If I had to vote any <laughs> of the three of us to drive a car in a tunnel, it would be Tiggy. Oh my god! Um, please do not collected. sign me up for that. <laughs> <laughs> so for 2022, there have been some pretty big changes in how much time you get, and it's all dependent on how you finish in the previous year's constructors. So with the worst teams getting more time. So it's a pretty confusing way that they do it. But basically this year, if you come in seventh place, that's the benchmark. And then you get like a normal amount of time, which is they call like 100%. And then depending where or where you fall above or below that benchmark, you get more or less time. So first place gets 70% of the time where seventh is getting 100. And then 10th place gets 115% of the time. Yeah. So with all of these changes, it sort of begs the question, has it actually worked to make overtaking easier and racing better? I think there are sort of two different camps on this. Lando said after the Imola podium, it's 100% better. It's what they intended to do. And the reasons for the changes are working. Um, you know, he was saying he thinks that we've been seeing better races this year than for many years. I do think the, the cars can follow more closely. Max said that as well. He said, at least you don't have these weird moments anymore of big oversteer big understeer. 
Latifi and Albon also said there was a noticeable noticeable difference. So oh, it goes good to for the, them. the back of the grid <laughs> as well, which they is need good. That. <laughs> um, so overall, I think following more closely definitely seems to be better. But for some reason, this really hasn't translated into more overtakes. Um, might have been impacted a little bit by the rain in Imola, but in 2022, so far this year, the first four races have had an average of about 32 overtakes per race. In 2021, that was 38, and in 2020, it was 29. So there aren't huge differences so far. We're less than last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the season as well. Because I don't know, at the beginning, there's still there were a lot of changes made to the cars. Maybe they're still really getting used to to the driving in the cars this year. Um, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, we might need some more data points on that one, but we'll keep you all posted. We'll keep track of it. And there's a big debate, which is really interesting, about whether or not DRS is still necessary with these new regulations. So as we've seen, there's already been a lot of DRS action this year, especially in the first few races where we saw really good back and forth Max and Charles battles. And so DRS makes for a really good show, but it kind of begs the question with all these new regulations supposedly making it easier to overtake and easier to follow, is DRS going to make overtaking too easy? Yeah, so DRS was introduced in 2011, right, as a solution to the fact that the cars were having a hard time overtaking and, you know, having those battles in in the first place. So now that they can kind of follow each other more closely, maybe the DRS is too much. Um, this is a comment that I love, but Vettel even said it would be cool to take it off and see how the racing really is. Interesting. So some people don't like DRS because they think passing on the straights versus in a braking zone or on a corner is too easy. They literally call it the DRS drive-by, which I think is hilarious. Um, and Charles gave a really good explanation, but basically says it gives the car behind too much of a speed delta that the overtaking is done before the braking, which obviously you'd rather have the braking or the overtaking done during a braking. So that way you're not just like passing someone like on a highway and it's not really like that much of a good show. Um, but he did say the cars are still better off with DRS. So one thing that people have been watching a lot is this DRS chicken game. If we remember back to, to Saudi, we literally saw Max and Charles slamming on their brakes before the braking zone into that final corner and basically wait and stay in the, behind the car in front of them until they were on a straight and then get DRS. So it's kind of like making people pull back on, on good racing, like in the corners, in the braking zones and making them kind of just wait when they can get that surefire pass through those straights. So a lot of, a lot of controversy around here. I'm sure everyone has, has their own opinions on it. I can't believe Charles compared it to passing on a highway. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, imagine me like whipping down 95, like DRS enabled. <laughs> <laughs> Left lane, baby. <laughs> Even though we've talked about maybe there has been more overtaking so far, one thing that definitely seems to have worked is mixing up the field a bit. So as if you've been listening, as we've talked about a lot, Mercedes dominance seems to be over, at least for now, but huge fall for them from last year and the past several years' performance. Ferrari has made these huge gains back to the front of the field. And teams like Haas now have a fighting chance. Like teams that were dying to even get one point are now regularly making it into Q3. So it's definitely shaken things up a bit. Overall, it's not as if the Aston Martins are showing up and winning every race. But <laughs> there definitely does seem to be a bit of a shuffle. And I think that'll probably continue as, as the next few years go on, especially with this power unit freeze. So one other big change that we want to discuss is racing rules and leadership. 
<laughs> There's been a lot of controversy around last year's race director, Michael Mossy and the safety car decisions he made at last year's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So TLDR, um, the championship came down to the last race last year between Max and Lewis and whichever of them won would be world champion. So in unfortunate classic fashion, Latifi caused a safety car uh, towards the end of oh the my race. God, classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Mossy, during that, he had ordered only the five lapped cars between Hamilton and Verstappen to unlap themselves under the safety car. And Hamilton was in front. So that gave Max a chance to pass Hamilton because he pitted to get fresher tires under the safety car. Um, but the rule stated that any uh, lapped cars should, you know, unlap themselves within the safety car. So it made it easy for Verstappen to pass Hamilton on those fresher tires. Mossy also ignored the rule that the safety car has to go into the pits at the end of the following lap. And the race would have ended under the safety car with Hamilton in front, which people probably also would have complained about the championship coming down to a safety car, but probably, you know, the rules are the rules. And this caused, this caused Hamilton to miss out on a record-breaking eighth world championship title. Mossy, I think the general consensus, consensus was that he made the wrong calls. He mishandled it. Um, and again, it spurred a ton of racing rule changes this year. Yeah. So the new rule is that all of the lap cars, um, have to unlap themselves instead of kind of the ambiguous way it was written before, but in kind of Massey's defense controversially, but I think people also think he had a really tough job. People heard during that final race last year, you could hear all of the team principals yelling at him on the radio. He had originally said that all of the lap cars would go through and then, Christian was yelling at him on the radio and urging him to reconsider. So then he reconsidered. And apparently all the teams had said at one point, kind of an agreement that they didn't want such an insane championship battle to end under a safety car. And then of course, Chessa, I feel like you can recreate this the best. Toto, it's called motor racing. <laughs> in his defense, the rules shouldn't be ambiguous. They should be written in a totally. way that is clearly enforceable. And you don't have like people screaming at you on the phone from different angles, pressuring you to like make a game time decision and something as fast paced and high stakes as 100%. Formula 1. No other, no other sport, literally, you're able to call a ref and be like, bro, listen up. Like, I don't think this is how it should go. <laughs> well, it's like basketball. Like, you have these coaches screaming at refs from the sidelines, and then they get a technical foul. Like, where's the technical foul clause in the F1 oh my gosh, that's for so these true. team principles? Like, I don't think about that. <laughs> and, yeah, so I think the consensus is that he messed up and didn't follow the rules. But at the same time, it's important to recognize that he was in just a really tough situation with unclear rules and – yeah, if both Toto and Christian were yelling at me at the same time while I was trying to make a decision while a championship deciding race was happening, I would probably be pretty frazzled. But Sarah, you have to do – you're in the hot seat. Who would you choose? Toto v. Christian. <laughs> oh, yep. gosh. Like who I would want yelling at me. Max versus Lewis. Who, who would you listen Ooh. to? Who's more persuasive in your mind? I would probably listen to Toto. I think Toto has a level yeah, of same. authority. <laughs> I feel like Toto could say something not even yelling, just in a very serious tone. It's because Toto is the tallest. He commands that <laughs> presence. He's taller than everyone else on the grid. <laughs> so basically what's happened now is, one, this year they no longer broadcast the conversations between, you know, the principals and the teams and, and the race control. And then, two, there will now be two different rotating race directors instead of Masi. He hasn't been fired from F1 altogether, but he will not be the race director. 
it's kind of sad for us as spectators to not be able to hear that that broadcasting between the teams and radio communications, but I think it's better for, for the fairness of the sport, like we said. But we will add that the team still can ask questions in a non-intrusive way, but through an intermediate body before getting to the race director, which which all makes sense. And along the same vein, they've also created a virtual race control room similar to the virtual assistant referee in football to kind of help mediate the whole process and make sure it's a lot more governed and doesn't necessarily just rely on like the opinion or the view of one person. One interesting other new rule, which sort of goes against the trend of making things less ambiguous, is that the race con- race control will no longer advise teams to tell their drivers to return positions that they gained by the advantage of exceeding track limits. So now the drivers have to do so voluntarily or risk being investigated by the stewards and retroactively penalized, which to me, I mean, I guess some drivers agree with this. Some, some, some don't um, because they feel like regardless race control will get involved. Um, But I'm curious why they went that direction um, instead of sort of more enforcement, I guess. Yeah. I don't think that makes a lot of sense because if they give back the position immediately, they can really do damage control and can be give it back strategically, as we saw a lot last year, it, instead of just taking the risk, not knowing where their race is going to stand, accepting a later time penalty, not knowing what race control is going to say. I don't, I don't understand this one personally. Yeah, Charles was like, there are lots of cases that are unclear and would need race control input. So it just seems to add to the, the confusion. And with that, thank you guys for listening to our 2022 regulations episode. Hopefully you got some good fun facts and some physics lessons out of that. Um, So next week, we will see you for a Miami preview and a little fun segment on top of that. So can't wait.